So this morning, I have the task of preaching a message that has been heavy in my heart for a while. And and if you have been coming to home church for a while, you've been hearing things like, come as you are, that Jesus is approachable, and as he is approachable, we as his church should also be approachable. And so I've had this message planned for, for some time now, and I think it's interesting as what has happened on Friday with the Roe v. Wade decision. This message, I think, is very, very timely. Because, you know, what I've been preaching about the last few weeks is, to me, it's been changing for me. hope it's been so for you. But understanding that Jesus makes all things new. And understanding how we, as a new creation in Christ, have a new purpose to love God and very, very key here, love people. That we are to have a new way of thinking because God's ways are higher than ours, amen? And that thinking needs to line up with his thinking. And out of that comes a new attitude. We talked a lot about that. And the whole reason for that is because we are to have a new community. So I want to go ahead and read a passage here out of Matthew chapter 9. You don't have to turn there. I just want you to think about uh, what it is that I'm reading, what God wrote in his word. It says this, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he, that's Matthew, rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Let that sink in for a minute. See, Jesus formed a new community. He sat down and broke bread with tax collectors, sinners, prostitutes. That was his new community. Now, I know the thing that we talk a lot about, at least in in the church and the way things are going now, is it's so important that we have Christian community. And I, I agree with that. It's very biblical, right? We need to be there for each other. We need to to congregate together and worship Jesus corporately. Uh, we, we need to encourage each other. We need to pray for one another. We need to bear one another's burdens. Amen to all of that, right? This community is very, very important in here. But there is also a new community that God is calling us to. And it's the one that Jesus engaged. That new community is not just unbelievers and sinners, but those that are religious that would look down upon those people and say, they are not worthy to step foot into my building. This new community, and, and 
I know I've talked about this before, but with especially what happened on Friday with Roe v. Wade, I feel like this is extremely timely because regardless of where you fall on any issue, whether you agree or disagree, there is, I think, a wall that has been formed between the body of Christ and those that are outside the walls of the church. And both sides are guilty. We, as the body of Christ, tend to judge those that believe, behave, and think differently than we do. We judge with a person and we look at them based on their sexual orientation, based on their gender decisions, based on whether they're for or against abortion, based on the sins that they're committing, their lifestyle, and we throw up a wall. And I think for the most part, for home church, I believe most of us don't really have this wall overtly. That we want to love on them like Jesus. We want to invite them to church. But I think internally, and even I deal with this, is, well, they live that way, they think that way, and I don't even want to approach them because they're never going to come to Jesus, or they're never going to come to church. And we kind of put up this internal barrier, and therefore, it keeps us from reaching out to them. And then on the other side of that wall is people that are outside these four walls of the building called church. And and they have the same kind of discrimination or prejudice that we have towards them. They judge us as being intolerant, unloving, judgmental, condemning, old school. That they don't even want to come here. They don't even want to listen to us. My friends, this is the number one enemy of the church right now, is this wall. Because what the devil is doing is he's cashing in on it. If he can get us so focused on our differences, then there is no way that we're ever going to focus on what matters most. That God created every one of us that are called homo sapiens, that is human, in his own image. Whether you're in church, out of church, believer, unbeliever, homosexual, straight, pro-choice, pro-life, Republican, Democrat, libertarian, every one of us that walk on two feet that are human have been created in his image. That every one of us, every one of us are just as valuable because Jesus died for all of us. For God so loved the world. Amen. So instead of me looking at that person and saying, you're never going to receive Jesus or you're never going to come to church or even engage in community with me because of what you believe and how you live your life. No, what I am doing and I'm working on this by the power of the Holy Spirit is to look at them and say, 
not in a condemning or judging way, but you need Jesus. And I want to love you through that process. That is so important. So this is what Jesus said. I'm going to turn to John chapter 7. And I have something here that I want to show you that's going to illustrate the point that I'm trying to make today. Beginning in verse 37, John chapter 7, in verse 37, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out. This is not Jesus standing up and whispering, Jesus standing up and just having a subtle conversation. No, he cried this out. Church, this is what we need to get into our hearts because he cried it out. He said, if anyone thirst, anyone thirst, they may not know they thirst, but if they don't know Jesus, believe me, they're thirsting. If anyone thirst, let him come to me. Let them come to me. and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. We're going to go back to John chapter 4 if you want to turn there because I am going to get into the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, because he talks about that living water with her. And then he goes here in, in, in a few chapters later and starts talking about how he's the living water, but also when we receive him and believe in him, then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit plants himself in us as the new creation. And there's an expectancy that we are to pour out to others around us that our hearts are full and that out of our heart flows rivers of living water. I have divine appointments and sometimes there's one-on-one -on -one ministry, but, but God places people in my life so that the rivers, not singular, but plural, can flow to all these people because what I want them to do is to come to Jesus and drink. That is the end game. Yes, I want them to believe in him. I want them to be saved. I want them to follow him. I want them to obey his word. Yes, I want all of that. But ultimately, also, I want to make sure because I love them, even though they may not love me, that they have a place in God's kingdom because this life is short. So what happens is Jesus being the living water, I receive him as my Lord and Savior and what happens is now the Holy Spirit comes and lives in me and I drink and believe me, I'm thirsty. And I drink from Jesus, who is the living water, and he fills me. And then as I go through life, I have an opportunity, as I'm making everything wet here on the table, <laughs> to pour out into people. But then what happens? I'm empty. And I need to continue to go back to him and be refilled so I continue to pour into people. Because again, I have more than just one person that he wants me to reach. 
that my lifestyle, my witness is going to attract people around me and I have to go to him. Like I said over the last few weeks, whether it's 10 minutes to just silence myself and to hear from him or spend time in his word to build up my arsenal so that I have that new attitude and I can fight off the thoughts of the world and take every thought captive to obey him and get refilled and get refilled so that I can overflow and pour into these people's lives. That my responsibility is where God places me. And see, if I do all of what I just said and I am drinking constantly from Jesus who is the living water, then really you don't have to really think too much about what you're going to do from day-to-day basis because like I said last week, you're like a magnet. You're that light and darkness. You're that person that people want to come to. And when they find out you're a believer, they're going to be like, you know what? I actually want to listen to you because you love me first. So the example and the best example is Jesus. And that's when I want to turn to John chapter 4. John chapter 4 is where we are today. Before I get into this, I'm going to pray. So, Father, I just want to thank you for those of us in here that have drunk and have living water from Jesus. I just want to thank you that out of our heart will flow rivers of living water. I thank you that today as I preach this message that we understand that there are people that you've placed in our life that depend on you moving through us to reach them. And I'm asking that You open our hearts to receive what it is that you want us to receive today and give us ears to hear today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So, John chapter four, beginning in verse seven. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman is a member of a race that the Jewish people have cast aside, the Samarians, to the point where in northern Israel, where Samaria is, they would literally and deliberately go around that area, not even walk through, because even the slightest contact, they believe, would make them unclean. Now listen, I've been places in this world and I've been to cities in this world where you just kind of feel, ugh, because there is a spirit hanging over it. And that feeling of, ugh, is the Holy Spirit in you groaning, saying, there's people here that need Jesus. And it's, it's, it's it's a recognition of the fact that God has you as light and darkness in these areas for a reason, to be watchful and to be mindful Like I said last week in the airport when I was wearing the t-shirt with the cross and Nikiah and I had a bad attitude. It's like, come on, man. This is not about you. This is about your witness. So this Samaritan woman is the new community, the outcast, the one that the Jewish people looked down upon because these were people that were pagan in their belief system, that were a mixed race, 
and there was discrimination. So Jesus, like he does, he turns everything upside down. And he approaches her and says, give me a drink. Continuing in verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So there you go. There is the other side of the wall. That is what the outside thinks about us, the church. Why are you even bothering coming to me? Why are you even engaging with me? You are a Christian. You have no dealing with me. That is the attitude. That is perception of the church today from those that are not here. From those that, as I look at all these empty seats, I pray and hope they come and sit their rear end here and hear the gospel. That they understand as they feel the vibe that we have Christ-like acceptance here. And I'm going to define what that is in a minute because some of you are thinking, oh, you're talking about accepting sin. And absolutely not. That is their perception. And I think all of us can look, look and examine ourselves and say, you know what, that's not me. That's correct, but there is still that perception out there. And sometimes the perception is what rules people's attitudes and opinions, where they vote with their feet, where they, their feet right now is in a level position because they're sleeping still and not here. They're voting with their feet because of perception. And that's what we need to knock down. And this is what Jesus did. And he answered her, and I love this, if you knew the gift of God, and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. People have an opportunity to get to know us as we represent Jesus to the world. Sometimes that knowing is for a brief moment in time. Sometimes you're blessed because you work with people or you go to school with people, youth, that are completely different on what they think and how they act. If they would simply know that you're approachable, if they would simply know that you have the answers, then maybe, maybe you'll have an opportunity to give them the living water. So when I went to the Virginia Military Institute, and I've, I've told a little bit about this before, but the very first nine months of my cadetship was called the rat line. And we had to go through this. It was like a rite of passage. Like we had to go through all of the hazing, all of the working out and, the, and all the activities that they would do to humiliate us, being spat on, being pushed around, in order to earn my way into the Corps of Cadets. This rite of passage. We weren't even recognized as cadets by the upperclassmen, we were simply just called rats. The lowest form of life. And that is the attitude that I don't want to have as the church. Where there has to be some sort of rite of passage where you gotta take these classes or 
you've got to clean yourself up, or you have got to walk, talk, and act the way we do before we'll even consider you part of the church. Because on the flip side of that, I remember there was one time in high school, one time in high school where I felt like I was accepted. And it was my senior year, I decided to go ahead and try out for the senior play, or the high school play, and I just remember all of the kids that were part of the drama department, part of the theater department, looked at me and were like, what are you doing here? Because I was a, I was an ex-football player, and I got injured my junior year, and I had nothing to do, and I decided, you know, I'm going to go for this senior play because I want to do something Hey, I see some people clapping, yay theater, yay drama. And um, they kind of looked at me like a fish out of water. But see, what happened was they accepted me. I wasn't just the, this, this jock who was out of shape coming to try for, for this play. They, they accepted me and I felt this community, this new community that I never had before, even in the locker room. And to this day, I remember on, on, on that season very, very fondly. And the friendships that I developed, I had you know, a couple of them even come to, came to my wedding. So it was just an awesome time, and that is the kind of acceptance that I think we need to have here as the church. So the woman said to him, sir, and this is in verse 11, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us a well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone, say with me that, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Drinking that water is not just the the guarantee that you're going to have eternal life, but also that spring of water that wells up is that same water that produces the rivers of living water that pours out to those that are around you. Verse 15, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water. That is the goal. My attitude, my new attitude, my understanding that my new purpose is to love God and to love people, this vibe that I give off because I am spending time with Jesus who is the living water as he pours into me to overflowing is going to lead to what I hope is somebody looking at us and saying, give me that water. She said, give me that water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Are we doing that? Are we allowing ourselves to open ourselves up to people that are different than us to say, give me that water? And I I don't want to elaborate this on too much, too much, because I don't want to talk about me. But everything, every time, every opportunity that I've had to lead somebody to Jesus or to invite them to church, I didn't have to even try in, in those days of my life where I had a lot of frequent one-on-one divine appointments was because I had uninterrupted time with Jesus. I spent more time listening to sermons, reading his word, reading books about him and about Christian topics, just praying in the spirit, 
listening to more praise and worship. And I have time to do that now, but there were seasons in my life where I had even more time to do that because the nature of my job, I was always by myself. And maybe you don't have that luxury. That's why it's so important that we're intentional, that we make the time for that connection. And the more you do that, you know, you want to know if you're close to God. I don't want to base it on works, but there is this thing where the closer you get to him, the more that you draw to him, the more he draws near to you, and the more that people around you sense that you are close to him. And then you see just people coming to you and saying things, and I've said this before, but saying things like, there's something different about you. Like, I'm not detecting a judgmental or condemning attitude. Like, I think I can actually talk to you. This woman began to feel that then look what happens. We're going to go all the way down to verse 39 in chapter 4. What happened was this woman couldn't believe that Jesus knew everything about her. So she goes and runs to her village. And here we're going to find the new community. Many Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. She said, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. What if revival begins with us shifting our attitude, with us connecting more with the living water, with Jesus, so that all of a sudden, you know, have a group of people, maybe your lunch hour at work, you're leading a Bible study. Maybe for those youth that are in school, your friends are like, I want to go with you to church because there's something about you. What if that happens? What if instead we were like, not like Jesus, but maybe the Pharisees or the Jewish people and looked down upon others like the Samaritans and just didn't want to have anything to do with them. And we're going to see what that looks like here in a minute. Revival will never happen because what God is doing is a new thing. What God is doing is telling us to put aside our differences like the enemy of the devil wants us to focus on and again, to look at the people as his creation that deserve an opportunity to receive him. This is a lesson that I'm having to learn myself, else I wouldn't be preaching it. I have some very strong opinions. I will not voice them on social media. And I have seen some very strong opinions on social media. And all that does is push it people away that think differently than you do. See, now in this day and age, we have a responsibility as believers. Social media, the internet has given us a platform. And what I want you to think about before you post anything or you say something at the water cooler at work or you say something to your friends at school, I want you to think about Jesus and how he treated the Samaritan woman and how it led to an entire village becoming believers for the most part. 
that new community. So I'm going to give you an example on the flip side. Turn with me to Luke. Luke chapter 7. Are you hearing me this morning, church? Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 36. One of the Pharisees, yay, the Pharisees, one of them asked Jesus to eat with him. So he throws out the invitation, Jesus, teacher, come to my house. So Jesus went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. I love that. Here we go. Two different sides. Jesus, the Son of God, the Pharisee, a religious ruler who obviously did not see that he is the Son of God. In verse 37, and behold, a woman of the city. What is a woman of the city? Prostitute. Oh my gosh. You know, I don't know how many of you remember the message that I preached on a few months ago about Rahab, the prostitute. I think God loves putting people in here that we as humans like generally say, ugh, get away from me. I think he loves to do that and say, you know what? I am such an awesome God that everybody has an opportunity to be part of my kingdom. And when they are, or when they come to me in repentance, I will save them and I will use them. See, that takes even me being a pastor off the table as being somebody above you. Like, we're all level. Like, God is no respecter of persons. And now I know we all have different responsibilities and some of us are called to leadership, some of us have different mantles, but when it all gets going down to really, really the fine print, it's all of us in God's eyes. He loves every one of us. We all have an opportunity to come to Jesus and we're all created in his image. So I love this. So here comes the prostitute. The Bible says, who was a sinner in case you were wondering? When she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Who did this prostitute come to see? She had the boldness to enter the Pharisee's house, not to see the Pharisee who really should have been the guy who loved on her and showed her the way in a loving way. No, she came to see Jesus because there was something about him where he was open to receiving her, the new community, where he knew, even though she was standing behind him, and we're going to see how he knows the people that he's around, but he knew, even though she was standing behind him, who she was and what she has done. Verse 39. 
Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, oh, he's so much more than a prophet, amen? Amen. He would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Wrong attitude, not the new attitude, not the attitude that we should have because guess what, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Prostitute, having lustful thoughts, consuming too much of anything, whether it's alcohol, we can go on and on and on. It's all sin. But what does Jesus focus on? He focuses on her as a person that has an opportunity to receive him. So in verse 40, and Jesus answering said to him, so he heard his thoughts, (laughs) said Simon, the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. And church, I believe Jesus is using me right now because he has something to say to you. I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. Not say it, Lord, but say it, teacher. He said a certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. The people that need Jesus the most, that appreciate him the most, are the ones that have the greater debt. And as I just said, sin is sin, but see, in our minds, our perception is, well, I used to sleep around, so when Jesus saves me, I have a greater appreciation because all the sin that he has forgiven in my life is so much greater than maybe the person who likes to party too much or the person who has a hard time with their thought life or it, it doesn't matter. The point being is there are going to be people that are outside these four walls that when they are forgiven, God is going to use them in a mighty way. Because look at this prostitute. She is written in his word. She is being talked about right now. Let me tell you something. I look forward to when I'm in heaven to meet Rahab and meet this woman of the city. And who knows positionally where they're going to be in heaven. Verse 44, then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, he said, look at this woman. Hey, you, mister, your entire life been brought up in the things of the law. You, who are now in authority over the Jewish religion, you who know everything about the scriptures and all the scrolls, You who are so righteous, see this woman, this prostitute, she is being the way that she should be, and you are not. Do you see this woman? I entered your house. 
you gave me no water for my feet. You want to know what a great sign of disrespect is? Is you invite somebody to your house and you give them no water to wash. It'd be like someone coming into your house and what do you do? The, the first thing you do when somebody is visiting your home for the first time is you tell them where what? The bathroom is. That is your way of offering water to wash for supper. I know, that's funny, but it's true. That's the first thing everybody wants to know is, hey, where's the restroom? I heard, I heard Nick say, yep, let me tell you, his house is pretty easy to find. Am I right, buddy? Where is the water to wash up? Greatest sign of disrespect is somebody entering a house in those days. And if you know anything about their feet, they wore open toe shoes for the most part. And traveling around on those dirty, dusty roads, roads that have sewage in them, roads that are just plain disgusting. Yeah, the feet are the dirtiest parts of the body, i.e. the sin in our life. It's the dirtiest thing on us, in us, that needs the living water, that needs to clean us. This Pharisee, intentionally, I believe, in a way of great disrespect, did not offer water for his feet. But Jesus says, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. The woman of the city treated him the way that we should treat Jesus, while the Pharisee did not treat him correctly. She worshiped him. Verse 45. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved me, but who is forgiven little, loves little. She loved much. She is the example. This woman of the city is the example of how we should love Jesus and how we should love people. Jesus is the example of how we love people so that we can form the new community of those who need the great physician. And he said to her, I can only imagine what she felt, what I believe the people that are outside these walls when they come here and they hear the good news of the gospel and they experience us, not just in this building, but also out there as lights and darkness, as representatives and witnesses of Jesus. The feeling that they will experience when they realize what Jesus says to her, your sins are forgiven. When you remember the day that you received Jesus and you understood, maybe it took a little while. See, for me, I realize how incredible that phrase is in my life. 
your sins are forgiven. The price that was paid for that to happen, and now I'm able to walk in this freedom. Because I'm not perfect, none of us are, we still sin from time to time, amen? That's why we have 1 John 1, 9, that we are to confess our sins, and he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Your sins are forgiven. I want people to know this. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? See, part of their attitude towards people that are not like them is because they really don't know Jesus. Who is this that he can forgive sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith, your faith has saved you. Go in peace, which was the word today, peace. Your faith. It's not about what you do. It's not about what you've done. Your faith in him saves you. And at that moment, even though after you receive him as Lord and Savior, you are saved and your sins are forgiven, does not mean your life is a bed of roses, but you still have that peace of knowing that you're with him and he's with you and you know where you're gonna be for all eternity. The main point that I have today, the one that I think needs to be ingrained in your hearts as we approach a time where it's gonna get a whole lot more divisive. What I want you all to know is Christ-like acceptance will form a new community that leads to repentance. Christ-like acceptance will form a new community that leads people to repentance. Christ-like acceptance is not, hey, I accept your sin. It's not me being seeker-sensitive or watering down the gospel. No, it's I see you. You are a human being that God created in his image that deserves an opportunity to hear the good news of Jesus and respond. Christ-like acceptance will form this new community, will lead people to repentance. That means I push aside the things that are different And I look at them as the things that are the same, and that is we are all flesh that have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. That we all need the gift of God, that is Jesus. What I want more than anything is for all of us, wherever God has placed you, whatever office, wherever you're going, to go today, whatever restaurant you're going to, where you're going to school, I know it's the summertime, but wherever we are, I want you to offer, to be available to offer them living water. And what I want as a church, not just home church, but the church is to take the living water 
and not be like the Pharisee that did not offer Jesus water to wash his feet, but to be like Jesus and offer the living water and say whatever the dirtiest thing is that you've ever done in your life, know that he is here to cleanse you of your sin so that you can walk with him for all eternity. I don't want to be a church that never offer living water. We will offer it. I will probably have to preach this again because as we're headed to whatever we're headed to in this world, it's going to become more divisive, more dividing. And honestly, I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it because that's not what God wants from us. And I'm telling you, the more that I get to know Jesus, the more I get to study his word, the more I see that with a non-judgmental, non-condemning way as we are in this age of grace, he is just focused on the person and he just loves them. And that is not easy for those of us that are ingrained in our ways. And yes, the Bible is the way that we follow. But what I want to do is I want to be able to live my life in a way that when they come to me and in love, take them through what the scriptures say about the issues that they face and the issues that they struggle with. And I can't do that if I have this prejudice or discrimination, this wall built up in me because there is a perception out there that there is a wall. And it's our job as we leave this building to go out there and help to tear down that wall. And I know some of the thoughts in here, some of the thoughts are in here, but they're all, that those that, are, that, that think, think differently than we do, that, that think differently than what God's word says, they are very militant, they're very vitriolic, they're very resistant. Well, guess what? We have the Holy Spirit that can tear that stuff down with love. And see, Jesus still did it as he walked to the cross, with the, uh, walked to Golgotha with a cross on his back. People were spitting on him, beating him. And not for one minute was he like, I am not gonna love them. They are too hard to reach. He still went to the cross so that all of us, past, present, future that exist, have an opportunity to receive him.